I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens, detecting lies, deception and fraud in the world of business. Forced labour, child labour, domestic servitude, debt bondage and trafficking people for the purposes of exploitation are just some of the sickening ways modern slavery continues in our world today. No Australian company will knowingly support these practices. However, they still find their way into our supply chain. And it happens through deceit, lies and concealment, often by third parties operating offshore. Over 40 million people are still victims of modern slavery, with 25 million of those in forced labour. One in four victims are children, and women and girls account for 71% of the victims. To see just a glimpse of the world through their eyes, we're joined by Kylie Porter, Executive Director of the United Nations Global Compact Network Australia, and Richard Buller, KPMG Chief Purpose Officer and Global Leader of Human and Business Rights. What is modern slavery? What does it actually mean? So modern slavery definitions tend to vary between jurisdictions. So the Australian Modern Slavery Act is the only act in the world that actually defines modern slavery quite acutely. So realistically, you know, from a corporate legal perspective, it's an umbrella term that refers to exploitative practices. So it includes forced labour, slavery, servitude, debt bondage, human trafficking, deceptive recruitment for particularly labour practices, forced marriage, and then, as I mentioned before, the worst forms of child labour. So it covers quite a lot of human rights-related risks and harms. When you're talking there about debt bondage and some things that sound really awful, is that why Australian businesses should care about it? Yes, absolutely. Like there's definitely that altruistic angle to it. You know, there are 40 million people in the world, or it's estimated anyway, who live in modern slavery-like conditions. And of that, they think that there is at least 16 million within the private sector alone. So there's that altruistic lens of wanting to protect an individual's and the collective human rights of people. But also businesses need to care because it constitutes a criminal offence. So in Australia... It is a criminal law violation. It obviously also seriously violates a person's human rights and dignity. So those two factors alone should be enough for it to spark a level of interest at the integrity level and particularly through the lens of a risk and compliance manager. Where do you see deception in modern slavery? How do those things come together? Yeah, look, it's absolutely one of the key challenges with modern slavery, very similar to corruption and bribery where deception plays a key role. And the deception within modern slavery, I guess you could break it down into a sectorial issue. So we know that areas like agriculture, construction, domestic work, meat processing, cleaning, hospitality and food services are those industries that are most likely to have modern slavery within them. Child labour tends to be across all of those industries and also within the mining sector. But it's very easy for suppliers of major companies or suppliers of small companies to hide the practices that are going on within their factories. It's very difficult to then map that supply chain to understand where the goods are being produced. We also know that there are countless instances of suppliers being told that they're going to go through a supply chain or a supplier audit. And what they do is ensure that in the lead up to that audit, everything on the factory floor looks like it should 
for an organization or a company that isn't using anything in the modern slavery bucket. There's also other ways of deceiving it in terms of threatening employees that if they put forward a grievance mechanism complaint is not in the best interest of the company. And when those people are faced with those threats, it's very difficult to identify if they've been experiencing modern slavery. And then if you overlay all of that with a government that scores, or a country, I should say, that scores highly on like the corruption perception index or a country that's got a high level of corruption risk, it then becomes a very complex chain and a very complicated one to unwind. Richard, can you help us understand what a day is like for somebody who's living through modern slavery? What does it look like? What are their experiences really like? I think a lot of people jump to an assumption of someone sitting there in chains. And I think what you need to do is understand that modern slavery is metaphorically being chained, but it's not literally being chained. So just give you, you know, highlighted in Sydney, suburban shopping centre, we're there talking to the mum and dad cleaning outfit. You know, they've got a contract through a couple of layers with a major property owner. And can we talk to your cleaners? So two young Indian men, we get the opportunity to talk to them one-on-one. We go through our usual questions, you know, how's the work? Good. You know, what are you here on in terms of visa? I'm here on student visas. Okay, that's good. Now, how's the pay? Oh, look, the pay's fine, but because we're students, we only get paid for 20 hours a week. Well, how many hours a week do you work? 40 hours, maybe sometimes 50 hours. Well, hang on. No, no, that's not right. You should be being paid for the hours that you're working. No, 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 we don't want to be paid for those hours because that would breach our visa conditions. Now, that's not modern slavery. That's wage theft, right? But when we ask the next question, so, okay, you're on your student visas. Who has your passport? Do you hold your passport? No, 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 we had to hand those in to get the job. Now, that is a form of modern slavery. That's both illegal, but that is binding somebody to a workplace so they can't freely move because you're holding the passport. Now, that was really confronting because you've got young people whose families have taken out significant loans to get them a student visa to come here and find a better life, right? So that's the vulnerability that those employers are using to one, underpay them, but two, to hold them into the job that they're in so they can't freely move. And I use that example because it should shake people's assumptions up about modern slavery being really easy to spot. It's not. Child labour, modern slavery is something for us sitting in Australia that's really hard to visualise. Can you help us understand what that looks like when someone is in those conditions and they wake up, they open their eyes in the morning, what is it they see? What does a typical day look like for somebody who's living through these horrendous conditions? If I sort of take the agricultural sector, which I'm drawing on an example that was more prevalent before COVID, which will become more prevalent again, you're almost certainly waking up in a house that's been organised by your gang master, someone who's running your gang. You'll be woken up very, very early. You'll be sharing the room in a crowded fashion. You'd probably be lucky to have some room to walk around in the house. The toilet that's designed to be used by four or five people is almost certainly being used by 20 to 30 people. The kitchen facilities are the same. They'll all be pretty dirty and pretty disgusting because the place wasn't designed to have that many people crammed into it. You'll be woken up early. You'll be shepherded onto a bus. You probably don't know where you're going to work that day. It could be an hour. It could be two hours to get to that location. If it's agricultural, you'll arrive at that farm 
you probably won't understand what's being said because your command of English is really poor and you won't get sunscreen. If you're lucky, you've got your own hat and out in the field you'll go and there'll be very clear instructions on what's expected in terms of your productivity. You'll work really hard and while you might be questioning why you're working this hard, you'll remember the debt that's owed and that's what's going to keep you working. You'll remember that it might have been your family, it might have been a close relative that took out the debt to get you to Australia because the agent who brought you into that has told you the story of how this is your first job, just do this, work hard at it and you'll get residency. But you've been doing this now for six months and you've realised that that was just lies to get you to come here. And while that's not the future, you can't go back until you've paid the debt. You can't escape from this until that's cleared because of shame in terms of letting your family down because they've sacrificed so much to give you the opportunity for a better future. That's harder to face than what's happening to your body. If you're lucky, there might be within your gang some people who might come from the same region that you came from, from your home country, and that might give you some relief is to be able to at least share some of the struggle together, the pain together, but you'll also be sharing the stories about how you were tricked into this you never chose this, this isn't what you chose, and how you're locked into it because of that debt. Kylie, as companies focus on those supply chains offshore and what they can do to influence it, the last few years has seen a a really strong focus on ESG or environmental, social and governance issues like modern slavery and like bribery and corruption. Why do you think that focus has been there more recently? I think there's been numerous reasons for this revitalization or huge interest in ESG. And a lot of it can be derived from some of the things that people might call buzzwords over the last few years. So we had the revision of the ASX governance corporate guidelines, and they led to this quite substantial debate around whether or not to include the words social license to operate. And there was a lot of conversation about, well, what does that actually mean? And when it's broken down, it means a lot of the things that you're discussing throughout this podcast series around integrity, around what's the purpose of an organisation. Is it just to the shareholders or is there a broader altruistic purpose that companies should be striving towards? But also what does leadership mean? And is a good leader one that's purely managing the P&L and doing a really good job at balancing what goes out and what comes in and the brand and and it's also about walking the talk. So things like responding to human rights risks, including modern slavery, if you don't do that, there are substantial reputational risks. And we've definitely seen those risks be actioned in courts and in on the front pages of newspapers. And there's numerous cases that I can think of recently where those human rights ones are also getting intertwined with environmental ones. And you think about some of the corruption cases, when those corruption cases start unfolding and the bribery cases start unfolding, yes, there's absolutely the issue between the company and the entity or the government that's been involved in that bribery, but it's also the impact on the people and what that's led to in terms of the social environment that they're living in, how that society operates. You know, these are very large issues and they all require really strong levels of governance. And we know that without having strong leaders, you're not going to have 
good governance, which means that you're not going to have a good response to environmental risks. You're not going to have a sound response to human rights risks that include due diligence, you know, across both your environmental and human rights lens. So I think overall, it's this leading with purpose, and it's ensuring that the tone from the top really is demonstrating not only value for shareholders in terms of the value of their share price, but also value for shareholders in terms of the longevity and the sustainability of the company over the next 10, 15 years. And Carla, we know that modern slavery impacts young girls and women much more than men around the world. Why are females so disproportionately represented in those statistics? It's really the nature of work. So if you go back to what I said about the industries most affected, it's predominantly women in those industries. And I it's industries that are hard to shift to more male dominant industries, right? So we know that domestic work, it's the majority of women. We know that a lot of horticulture practices, while there might be men, it is quite often women out there picking strawberries or helping on horticulture fields. Cleaning, hospitality, food service, very much female dominated industries, not only here in Australia, but globally into the supply chains of large companies. So if they're the industries that are most likely to be exploited, when you add other lenses over that, for example, a corruption bribery lens, the COVID-19 pandemic, right? When you add COVID-19 and the extreme opaqueness that we've experienced with supply chains, we know that women are more vulnerable to being exploited. And they are, you're right, disproportionately so. And a lot of that is because of the nature of the work that they're doing. Are we doing enough, do you think? No. I think if we were doing enough, then modern slavery wouldn't be as substantive a problem as it is today. You know, we've got more slaves now than what there were during the US slave years. And companies really need to start thinking about what they need to do to respond to those human rights issues within their supply chain. And But if we start talking about transparency and a desire to change the world and eradicate modern slavery, which is one of Australia's commitments under the Sustainable Development Goals, the question really is, well, if we know modern slavery is that prevalent, why aren't companies willing to be transparent where they have found instances of modern slavery? So there's a long way to go. Richard, in addition to your role as a human rights leader that you've been working in, I know, for decades, you've recently taken on the role as KPMG's first chief purpose officer. Is purpose perhaps the answer to some of these issues like bribery and corruption, modern slavery? How does purpose play a role and what does that actually look like? I guess the glib answer would be to go, yes, but you know, you kind of got to unpack that. You know, you've got to kind of consider it really carefully. You know, we're human beings, you know, we've come together in a society and what's our fundamental being, I guess, and I think it is altruistic. We do want to do good, yeah, we do want to see things improve and then people choose a different path for perhaps different reasons. I've got a great optimism about fundamental human nature, right, is if you look at those that choose the pathway, Dean, that you've dealt with so much in terms of criminality, right? You know, there's so many times you can kind of see those trigger events or you see the context from which they've come and you go, gee, they didn't have much choices. I think it's different with white collar crime. I don't know if you'd agree with me on that, where you just go, why? Why did you do that? And then you kind of probably end up with psychopathic issues. There's an element of mental illness sometimes that then is that trigger to taking that pathway of crime and deception. And I think we're better 
able to buffer those conditions or better treat those conditions when we do take that altruistic. When we look after each other in general, I think that's when we do have the opportunity to reduce crime. And that's what we have as KPMG, a really clear commitment in Australia. And our core purpose is to empower change, inspire confidence, to then have a positive impact on society. And that aspect, you know, I think is a really powerful way to have that opportunity to have a touchstone by having that purpose and by having the underpinning values. And I think for us, particularly together for better, that gives you a North Star, that gives you an opportunity to just check in and go, I'm about to do this. Is that aligning with the purpose that I've signed up to or the purpose that's mine personally to make a positive contribution to other human beings? That then takes you away from getting involved in modern slavery from a perpetrator point of view. We don't have modern slavery if it wasn't for human beings that prey on vulnerable people purpose should be there to help us reduce the conditions that make people vulnerable. But then purpose should also be there as a touchstone for those who are benefiting from crime and those around them. Because I think that's the key, right, is generally that's the undoing of most criminals is those around them who aren't comfortable with the way they're behaving, aren't comfortable with the impacts or the pain or the hurt that they're causing. Look, big picture question. It's a great one, Dean. And I hope that I've given the big picture question a bit of practicality in terms of bringing it down is that that there is definitely a couple of points there where purpose has a significant contribution, I think, to make in reducing both the conditions that lead to people finding themselves enslaved in modern slavery-like conditions, as well as those who are perpetrating it. The human impact of modern slavery is catastrophic and a continued focus on eliminating it, not only from our supply chains, but from our world, is incumbent on us all. Next episode, we move from the physical world to the digital as we explore the murky corners of the dark web. We'll explore how cyber criminals are working together across the world and coordinating their attacks. In our next and final episode, we'll be joined by the man charged with protecting Australia's national broadband network from cyber attacks, NBN Chief Security Officer, Darren Kane, as we take a journey into the dark web and see what really happens when cyber criminals attack. The stereotype of criminals being lone actors in a basement or sitting there in a hoodie in a darkened mood, I think is sadly outdated. Many of these gangs are based in jurisdictions where the law enforcement may not only be turning a blind eye, but may be in fact working with them. If you'd like to know more about how KPMG works with organisations to prevent deception and restore trust, head over to our website, which you can find by searching KPMG Forensic. I'm Dean Mitchell, and this is KPMG's Forensic Lens. See you next time.